The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As we constantly move forward, there's a continuing and urgent need for higher education. It's necessary for tomorrow's future and for a dynamically changing workforce. As the need for education is changing, so is education itself. Welcome to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education with your host, Dave Goldberg. In this program, we'll discuss the complex changes that are being made to higher education today, and we'll help you stay ahead of tomorrow. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce. Now, here's Dave Goldberg. Good day and welcome to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. I am Dave Goldberg. I'm your show host and Big Beacon is a movement to transform higher education at bigbeacon.org. In every episode, we explore some of the innovators and innovations that are changing the world of higher education all around us. You can follow live tweeting of the show, um, uh, make comments about the show during the program on Twitter at uh, hashtag... um, Big Beacon. The first segment of Big Beacon Radio is sponsored by Olin College, a new kind of engineering college, a privately funded national lab for education redesign with a passion for creating inspiring learning experiences. Find out more at olin.edu. And today we're, I'm excited to uh, be joined by a fellow coach and educational transformer, Maureen Breeze at LifeBound. Welcome, welcome to the show, Maureen. Thank you, David. It's nice to be here. Well, and yeah, I guess we bumped into each other um, through a common friend, but uh, we we share the experience of um, uh, being coaches. You're you're a senior vice president for Lifebound. You're a trained coach, and uh, as I dug through your background, a dancer and choreography choreographer. But let's go back in the time machine. What were some of the early influences that put you on your current path? Well, you know, I always laugh that my path has been anything but linear. Um, But a big influence that I had was during my college time, and I was studying economics and math and always loved the quantitative side of things. But I think as I got further in my math studies, I started to realize the world wasn't black and white and that math didn't always have the answers that everything was much more of a murky gray and it just depended on the lens or the parameters you wanted to put around the problems. And I think I had a little bit of an existential crisis at that point that I thought what was tried and true in the world of math was only relative. And um, I think that put me on a path of really asking the bigger questions and wrestling with um, maybe my own philosophy in life. And I think that's where art really came in and played a big role and how I became very committed to dance and choreography because that was an avenue for me to really explore life's big questions. So that was kind of a a big influence for me. Actually, I wasn't planning on asking this, but um, so 
you know, mathematics is a Rorschach test of sorts. What, when you when you were were studying mathematics, what uh, what kind of math in particular flipped your pizza? What 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 kind of math did you find engaging? You know, I loved linear or matrix algebra. I mm. loved the the concepts behind that. And much of the math I did was applied math because I was also studying economics. Mm. Um, I think, like I said, where I started to struggle with math a little bit was when it became highly abstract and yep. removed from the you know, the concrete world, and, and that's really where the creativity in math lives and breathes. But I think it also just challenged me as a learner and a thinker and, you know, kind of set me off on a creative path, you know, unbeknownst to me at the time. Sure. And on the show, we're inter- especially interested in the, what Mark Somerville and I called unleashing experiences in a whole new engineer, these experiences where somehow someone trusts you, you trust yourself, and you have the courage to take initiative and do something that you might not otherwise have done. So um, who or when or, or what has given you the courage to go your own way? Gosh, that is a great question. And, um, you know, when I think about that, the first person that comes to mind was a professor I had. Uh, his name was Gordon Bjork, and he was an economics professor and my thesis advisor in college. And mm. I, you know, was getting ready to join the consulting world. That, that was kind of the path I was thinking I would take upon graduation. And I went into his office, you know, during spring of senior year when you're interviewing, and I said, Professor Bjork, I've decided I want to go to New York and dance. And like any good economist, he just sat back and crossed his arms and he said, Maureen, what is the opportunity cost going to be at this position? <laughs> <laughs> and he sat there very patiently and listened to me and he asked some tough questions. Um, but I think in the end, he was able to hold a space for me to really problem solve and mm. to come up with a clear path of not only what I was doing, but why I was doing it. And I do have to say, you know, there were times where I would be, you know, hawking a ring to pay for a root canal or, you know, dancing at a bar mitzvah in a picture frame to make money to pay rent, you know, doing (laughs) crazy things. And I'd go back to that conversation I had with him. But I always say that he was my first coach because he really did not provide the advice, but asked the very tough questions that then gave me the foundation to launch out and take risks and go down paths that I might not have otherwise gone down because I had kind of done the thinking. And I think that's why I really am a believer in coaching and am a believer in supporting students in that thought process. Yes. Um, Because in the end, they have to know how to answer to themselves and they have to really be able to come up with their own decisions and make their commitments for their own beliefs. So I think that he was definitely a big influence for me. So our listeners want to know the end of that story. I mean, so you, so did you, you went to New York and you danced. I did. I did. And what set out to be a two year experiment, I was going to do it for two years and then get a real job. And um, two years lasted about 20 years. <laughs> so I, I ended up, you know, really falling in love with that world of work and doing that for quite some time um, up until I came on to LifeBound. 
but I still uh, choreograph and, and teach and keep that part of my life going, you know, not full steam ahead, but on the sidelines. Yeah, so I was going to say that your day job has a, a dancing habit, but your dancing has a coaching habit, it sounds like. Right, um, right. So, and so, and so what did, and, uh, um, yeah, so what, uh, uh, and, and so what did you, what were the takeaways from 20 years as a dancer and choreographer? You know, I think for me, the takeaways were work really became my opportunity to ask the big questions in life. Mm. Um, the, the choreography that I was always involved in and am still involved in today uh, maybe bordered on the philosophical, you know, how do you ask those big questions in life and find those answers? And the studio and the stage became an arena for me to explore that and address those questions. So I, but I think the big takeaway I have is that... So as you, let, me, let me just interrupt. So, so a lot of our listeners are engineers and so, and they, and they're, Going dance, big question. So, give us an ex- give us an example of something you choreog- choreographed that that asked big questions or, or or would give a hint, give us a sense of what that what that means. Um, okay, let's see. So, an example might be a, a trilogy that. Um, gosh, for engineers, this might be more interesting. I did a trilogy years ago titled "Light, Time, and Space." Okay. And um, so one section was all about, you know, gosh, well, I'm trying to think of that example. I'm not as into that space. Let me talk a little bit about a trilogy sure. I'm working on right sure. now titled Sojourn. Okay. And I'm exploring the process of when we have to remove ourselves from a paradigm or a way of thinking or it might even be more um, concrete, a place we're living, a relationship we're in. So what needs to happen at that separation point? What is the physical energy Mm. that creates the tipping point for departure? So one section is separation kind of based on that construct. Mm -hmm. The next section is migration. What What do we need to travel through in terms of our thinking and our learning and our interacting to leave one place and move to the other. And then the third section is assimilation, and it's how do we bring new knowledge, Mm. new learnings, new perspectives into a framework that we can move forward. So it's a very abstract piece of choreography, but I think it relates to an engineering process of how do you solve a problem and come at it in a new way. And it also relates to a very personal development journey that somebody might go through as well. Yeah. Now, as you were talking, I was thinking, I was mapping what you were saying to um, William Bridges' um, work on transitions and thinking about um, life transitions and the, in the, in, is also his, his models of three construct model as well that maps very nicely to what you're saying. Anyways, that, no, that's very helpful to help, um, help wrap our arms around it. So, um, so okay, so that was then. You so you and and you still and you still dance and you still chore, choreograph. But so now your day job is, um, is it life bound and and uh, and as a coach. And so what are there are there connects between 
um, your embodied self as a dancer and your coaching self as as someone that helps people mentor and advise and so forth. Absolutely. And I would say the two domains that are most relevant to me because of my background is the creative thinking domain. Um, So really working with students on how do they engage in an envisioning process, in an imagining process, in a generative process. Yeah. Um, you know, I I know from reading your work and and some of your things too that we have been in an education system that often teaches formulas, it teaches a plug-in mentality rather than a creation mentality. And um, I, I feel like those are tangible skills that can be taught and developed in students, but they do take time. Um, they, they take coaching support. They take special programming and opportunities. So yep. that's been a very big influence for me, um, and I think something that I've taken both from, from my creative background and from my work as an artist into how I work with students. Yeah. And we all, on the show, we also, um, well, we have, you know, we've had uh, liberal arts college presidents and deans and so forth on the show, and it, we have a lot of engineers, but, but we've had medical school. So we're interested in the different flavors of education. Uh, your undergraduate degree was from a well-known liberal arts school, Claremont McKenna College, and, and, and it sounds like we've heard some of this already, but in what ways has that, that liberal education served or not served you? Well, you know, I am a huge fan of liberal arts education, and um, my only regret looking back is that I didn't take more advantage of that. I think Mm. at that age, I felt that I'd be able to read literature and read philosophy on my own, but I probably would never really master number theory on my own, so I I tended to to gravitate more towards some of the quantitative um, classes where... Looking back, I wish I would have done more philosophy and, and literature and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in it because I feel that one of the other challenges for students today is that skill of being able to rise above and see the big picture and connect dots. And, you know, I'm reading the Hamilton biography right now that I know so many people are <laughs> you know, sure. inspired by. but. I'm looking at his state of mind when he first came to the to America and how he was able to see things from a different perspective and connect the dots in ways that nobody else was seeing at that time. And I'm sure part of it was growing up in St. Croix and being in the trade industry. But it's made me think a lot about the advantages of a liberal arts education, that when we give students the opportunity to learn from all these different perspectives, I think they'll bring that into their engineering. I think they'll bring that into their mathematical modeling or whatever field they go into. Sure. But they're able to see those patterns and those big pictures in different ways. So for 10 years, you've worked um, with another organization called LifeBound in, in uh, Colorado. What is, what is LifeBound for our listeners? So LifeBound is a student success organization, and we have two arms to our company. One is we publish, we produce and publish print and digital resources to help students at key transition points. So we have some programming for students going into middle school, students transitioning into high school, 
students transitioning into college and then into the world of work. So we really focus on those key transition points. Yep. But then we also have books and curricula to address financial literacy or creative thinking, emotional intelligence, leadership. Yep. You know, some of these things we know are critical, you know, for student and professional success that aren't anchored in day-to-day curriculum. And then the other part of the company is the coaching training company. So we have developed a program that we then train faculty and staff in coaching skills so that they can work with students with some of these principles. So we don't do a lot of direct-to-student coaching, but instead we'll go to universities and we'll work with you know departments or teams of advisors or different groups so that they can learn how to become facilitators of learning, how they can use coaching well in tandem with technology, and then how they can kind of step back and quit giving advice at every moment, but seeing when do they need to give advice, but when would they be better off coaching a student through a process as opposed to telling them. So that's the other part of LifeBound. And what's your... um the founding story of your journey to LifeBound. How did how did you move from dancer to extraordinaire to um, coach coach and author at LifeBound? That's a good question. <laughs> you know, the the founder of LifeBound is a woman named Carol Carter, who spent her early career in publishing, and then she wrote a series titled Keys to Success, which was a a student yep. success book that is used a lot in that freshman year experience course at universities. Mm -hmm. So she became very interested in student success issues and then kind of took on the mission on how do you deal with some of the things we know break down at the college level. How can we start to ensure students are getting some of these skills earlier on in the pipeline? So she left publishing, and that's when she started LifeBound. And we met about 10 years ago because I was starting to do some writing in addition to the dance work I was doing. And someone mm-hmm. said, you need to meet, you know, a, a fellow writer. And, and so we connected, and I started doing some teaching work with her and, and was very passionate about the coaching and doing some of that work on my own at that point. And so we thought, gosh, there is a niche here with this coaching model, this life coaching model tweaked for an academic setting, and that's where we set out to create this academic coaching um, curriculum and content to start bringing to different educators around the country. Awesome. So, and actually, I'm looking at the time. We need to take a short break, but I'd like to... um, um, Check in and see if there's something else we need to talk about in terms of your experience at LifeBound and the things you do there. But then I'd like to dig into um, a couple of your uh, the books that you've worked on to see what they're about. How's that sound? Great. That sounds perfect. Thank you. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Maureen Breeze of LifeBound. And stay with us, and we're going to talk a little bit more about LifeBound and then talk about leadership for teenagers and other folks in our next segment. Stay with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of 3Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our second segment is sponsored by 3Joy Associates. Get the training, coaching, and change leadership consultation to help transform your educational institution. Uh, And the book that is transforming higher education, A Whole New Engineer, The Coming Revolution in Engineering Education at wholenewengineer.org. It's not just for engineers anymore. And we're back with our guest, Maureen Breeze, Senior Vice President of LifeMound in Colorado. And before the break, Maureen, we were talking about uh, what uh, LifeBound is and how you became connected uh, to them. What we, I want to talk about um, uh, your your book on leadership for teenagers in a minute. But before we do, what else what else should be said about LifeBound that hasn't been said? Um, you know, I think it, it's just a very interesting time for education in general, but certainly for LifeBound, where Technology is really reinventing education in a lot of ways, and the role of faculty and staff continues to change and evolve, and um, really the needs of students, how the demands on their creativity and their ability to problem solve is very different. So it's an, an exciting time, I think, to be in this space, and it's a great time for LifeBound because it's it's calling forth a lot of the principles that, you know, we really believe in and have built this business upon. So it's, it's an exciting time. Yeah, it's an exciting time, but isn't it, it's a bit of a scary time too. You know, so the things that the, the money, moneyed interests and the technology get the lion's share of the attention. And it seems like the, um, the human side of this, the, the, the part that LifeBound cares about, the part the human part that Big Beacon cares about is easy to give short shrift. I mean, isn't isn't there the real chance of technology? Uh, you know, that that famous book, uh, Bowling Alone, that education becomes a, a kind of an experience of bowling alone and becomes kind of disconnected and not very motivating and kind of a technological nightmare. Comment. You know, I I completely hear what you're saying, and it is. A strange time. My colleague is right now at the ASU GSB Summit right now. You know, that's yeah. 
brings together all these education technology companies, and you see how much money is being funneled into that world right now. Um, I think just because of the scalability of it. But, you know, David, I do believe as we continue down this path that the human factor is going to be more important than ever. And I think it is getting pushed to the side, but research shows us over and over that so much of learning is really based on emotion. And unless somebody has a strong, strong passion for what they're learning, that human relationship is going to be critical. And um, I, I think we're going to as a society, lose sight of it for a while while edu- while technology is moving into the space. But I really believe in the end we're going to go back and and really highlight the value of, you know, I think of the Socratic circles and all those things that I, I, I still think that the process is going to live and breathe there. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful and I seem, and I think, um, I just want you know. It just seems like the uh, the money and the technology take uh, usually take a front seat, and the and these other things are sort of well, we'll we'll get we'll get round to it at some point. And and uh, and um, of course, organizations like Bound Lifebound have been round to it for a while, and others have 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 been thinking about these things for a while. But it just seems like um, there's a um, well, it's and it's it's actually worse. It's it, in some ways it's worse. Than that, I, I think one of the things um, for me as an engineer going into coaching, uh, it was just like eye-opening experience. Oh, you mean I'm allowed to talk about all this? I'm allowed to talk about body and emotion. You know, I I don't have to be this rational guy all the time that's always problem solving and giving rational reasons for things. I'm allowed to pay attention to my feelings. I'm allowed to when my when I have uh, five shivers that indicate that I've just had a great idea, I'm allowed to pay attention to those and actually acknowledge that that's actually what my body's trying to talk to me about, uh, about it, my intuitive processes. And and it just, but it just seems like somehow, and and I think this is as true in liberal education as anywhere. We're just not even allowed to talk about this stuff. It's not polite to talk about body or emotion and. Or mindfulness, or or any other soft stuff, in a real education. I, of course, I'm painting a bit of a caricature here. And and uh, when when are we gonna? When's when's that going to be more allowed? When are we gonna allowed to talk about this like as as though it's a polite subject? Right, right. And you know, I think that's the one thing I love about your book too that you bring that to attention that what is our body telling us? What are our instincts telling us? How, you know, your, your talk about the presence that we bring into a room. How do we command, uh, you know, a room? All those things are critical for engineers, for people to learn, for students to learn. And I often wonder, will it come down to a convergence of looking at health and how we Mm. function as healthy human beings that will give rise to more of these conversations? I don't know, Um, but I think you're spot on with it. Well, and maybe, you know, so if a couple of engineers can say it, maybe the rest of us can say it too I, I you know I, I've always thought of a whole new engineer and doing emotion and engineering as as uh, 
a, a bounding worst case. I mean, if you can do and if you can do a motion in engineering education, you can do it anywhere. Maybe with the exception of medical education, but even there, there's there's a, a lot of really interesting and good work going on. Mm-hmm. So let's talk. Yeah, let's talk about leadership. So um, you sent me uh, a couple of books that you'd worked on with Carol Carter. One of them in 2011, you wrote a book called uh, Leadership for Teenagers, um, and I'm just. Yeah, so and and we heard the story of Lifebound and the kinds of books on success that uh, Carol was got into the business of writing from her work in publishing. But what what motivated that particular project? You know, I think that came out of some of the early coaching work that we were doing, and we thought that there is a huge opportunity with students to start talking about this concept of leadership. Not so much in how are they going to lead professionally and in organizations, but more fundamentally, how are they going to be leaders in their own life? How can they switch their mindset from managing their life or executing the life the world brings to them as opposed to leading and creating a life and knowing that all of us, you know, life throws us things that are out of our control but then how do we manage those and lead ourselves forward in these different opportunities or difficult challenges? And so we were hoping to take this concept of leadership that is more of this kind of high-level thing and bring it down to a more tactical approach, a skills-based approach. What are some concrete skills you can start to develop as a student that will absolutely help you as a leader in the world, but will also help you just lead and navigate your day-to-day life. And so that was kind of the genesis of how we decided to start and work on this book. Well, and I, I, I like to really like the way you did that. And I, and I loved your description just now, sort of, it was about self leadership and, uh, and, and the poll that you were, so you're you're in the middle of what is often a an obedience-based education, and you're you're actually asserting that no, the other pole, you being kind of in charge of your own learning and your own life, is really important. And um, calling that out in a in a setting where the more important thing is, do you get all your math questions right? Do you what grade did you get on the history exam, et cetera? Comment. Exactly. Exactly. And, well, yeah. So. So. so in, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say. I even think about leadership development for adults, and we usually look at that in a professional setting. You know, how how yes. are we cultivating those skills so we can get the next promotion or manage the team or whatever? And as adults, when we talk about designing our life or creating our life, we don't really look at that in terms of leadership. And how might that shift in mindset impact us to be able to take risks and do things? And so if we use that framework for working with students at a younger age, I think it's a way to put themselves in a driver's seat and give them a sense of power to be able to make these decisions and to take these risks and embark on different roads that will be really valuable for them. Yeah, nice. And so, well, and actually, you know, and and and, and you know, working as a coach, you know, that coaching perspective oftentimes comes with these um, professional aspirations and and 
climbing a ladder kind of thing. And oftentimes those are the superficial issues and there are other other developmental issues and roadblocks and and missed opportunities that have to be worked on before you actually can open open up the possibility space. So that doing that, I agree with you completely that doing that um, earlier can help set people up for for success earlier. Actually, my I took coach training in my fifties and and uh, I was angry actually that well why doesn't why wasn't I taught this stuff in my twenties? Right, right. And so actually, actually, that's what you're doing, and 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 bless you, and bless you for it. And so, so you've 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 just said that you know writing a book for teenagers is different in that it's kind of more skills oriented. How does g- give us some examples of that? And what in what ways do you break this down um, in your book? Well, you know, we start the book just introducing this idea of leadership as something that can be developed. You know, that it's not a a fixed trait that you have it or you don't, but that there are skills or, you know, uh, a framework that you can really take different parts of it and develop. So there's a little assessment in the beginning. It's a self-assessment, but they can look at different areas. You know, how adept do they feel at at creating a vision or envisioning possibilities? How fine-tuned are their creative and critical thinking skills? You know, how able are they to communicate their ideas and to communicate with one another? Um, How easy is it for them to build a sense of respect and command respect, but also give respect to other people? So we kind of have them look at some different categories, and then each chapter is based on one of these skills. And, you know, we use a lot of stories, and we integrate history, ancient history and current-day history to give them examples, but then it's also embedded with many activities, so they have ways to go about and try some of these different skills and learn about themselves in the process. Yeah, sometimes the uh, writing a book like this, the, the, the stories you collect and tell are some of the more motivating or interesting parts of the book. Is there a story in the book that you tell that is one that you often use or retell or that sticks in your mind? You know, um, that's a great question. And I think the process of writing this book, the most magical thing for me was Mm. coming across a book um, called The Arts of Leadership and War. And it was written by someone in the military that took Xenophon's kind of philosophical writings on Cyrus the Great, Mm. and, and he told them in a more current day way. And the book resonated with me. I learned a lot about history and Babylonia and the Persian Empire that I hadn't known, but also how basic some of these leadership tactics that he used were so applicable today. So I Mm. decided in this book, I wanted to take, you know, several premises that were highlighted about Cyrus the Great and then marry them with current day leaders, because I thought that'd be interesting for students. And I found it really interesting, too. You know, how did the corporate leader of Xerox do some of the same tactical principles that Cyrus the Great did, you know? And so I think that was kind of a fun surprise for me and um, and hopefully for the students as well. Nice. And 
Um, so that's you know, one thing that stuck out. And sometimes also when we work on a book project, I, I sort of, I'd, I've done this about five or six times now, gone into a book writing project and thought, okay, I know what I'm going to write about, blah, 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 and get into it and go, oh my God, I didn't realize that. And so there are, sometimes there are these big chunks of learning or insight or something that comes from a particular book like surprises inside the writing itself. And I'm wondering if there's one of those that might stick out for you. Ash, you know, I don't know. I think a surprise I had is that as I was writing this book that seemed like kind of a big umbrella and a big topic, yep. I would have loved to have spent more time just around this idea of influence. Mm. And how to cultivate influence, how to recognize influence, how to know what you are influenced by, and then how to harness that in your leadership. I just felt like a whole book could have been written on that one topic. And so I think for me the surprise was as I kind of wrote this this larger book, how much was there and how you could really dive deep into each of these things. But that one seemed kind of a mystery to me. It's easy to misunderstand. Sometimes that role of influence might take on kind of a negative connotation, especially for teenagers. Um, So I just thought there was a lot of meat there that we could have gone much deeper into, you know, or it might be another book down the road. (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah. So we've got just a a few, a few seconds left in this segment. Uh, uh, how's how's it been received, and where where are people using it? You know, it's interesting. Um, we have had a lot of organizations and schools use it because you know there might be somebody that's in charge of student council somewhere, or you know we have these leadership roles in high yep. schools, yep. but they tend to be roles where different things are executed as opposed to student development really being at the center of it. And so I think schools are finding out there's a great opportunity here with some curriculum, with a book, with some support. Students can land in these roles and then develop within them as opposed to having the role, executing a few things and putting it on their resume. So I I think it's an opportunity for this development, but it's a little bit of a mind shift in schools to say, oh my gosh, how are we really cultivating these students within this capacity as opposed to just giving them the title and overseeing what they're doing. So it's it's being used more and more in that capacity, but also in advisory classes, in English classes, and because there's a lot of history, it, you know, some mm. social studies and history courses nice. are using it as an additional text. Well, that's great, and we've run out of time in this segment. Uh, let's uh, take a little bit of break, and we'll come back and and um, talk about. Uh, Want to talk in the next segment about uh, another book that uh, that you've worked on, critical and creative thinking, and and also talk a little bit about uh, this whole notion of a coaching culture in education. How about that? That sounds great. This is Big Beacon Radio with our special guest, Maureen Breeze. Uh, In the next segment, we'll come back with her and and talk about the book Critical and Creative Thinking for Teenagers and, and also talk about a coaching culture and education.
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Do you want greater success in bringing change to your university, college, department, or classroom? Are you looking for a keynote speaker to inspire your organization with stories of transformative change? Would you like to boost your own academic, business, or technical career? Let David E. Goldberg of Three Joy Associates help. David is a leading speaker, author, trainer, and leadership coach with experience in helping bring successful change to educational organizations and education and technical careers around the globe. To learn more, call Dave Goldberg at 217-621-2645. Contact him at deg at 3joy.com or browse the 3Joy website, www.3joy.com today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Big Beacon Radio. If you'd like to call into the program today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to deg at bigbeacon.org. Now, back to this week's show. And welcome back to Big Beacon Radio. And our final segment is sponsored by Big Beacon's upcoming webinar. Join us Wednesday, this Wednesday, May 10th at 4 p.m. Eastern for the webinar, Four Keys to Ineffective Educational Change or How to Botch Transformation Without Really Trying. Learn the four mistakes that people make (laughs) in modern change initiatives and how to overcome them. Learn how you can join Big Beacon's three communities of innovators today. Go to bigbeacon.org to sign up or write to me, Dave Goldberg, at deg at bigbeacon.org to find out more. And so we're we're back with uh, Maureen Breeze. And and Maureen, we were talking about... um, one of your books, and and uh, in this segment, um, about the same time, I guess in 2010, you wrote a book called Critical and Creative Thinking for uh, Teenagers, also with Carol Carter. Uh, what would you like to tell our listeners about that text? You know, well, David, that book was born out of the idea that with our changing economy and globalization, the need to be able to think creatively yep. has never been more important. And how do we really help students think about generating ideas, generating businesses, seeing opportunities? It's going to be important for them and for our economy. And so we thought this was a great way to introduce kind of this concept outside of the arts, you know, in a way that would um, stimulate thinking and opportunity for students. And so when we set out to write it, we kind of created a very simplistic thinking map, um, but that walks teenagers through a thinking process. And at each chapter, we try and introduce the, the concept of thinking that we're talking about through a different lens. So the importance of asking why in a situation, all the examples and the content is around the field of medicine, where we might talk about the value of asking questions, how critical this skill of asking questions is. All of that might be told through the lens of motion, or we have a whole chapter through the lens of nature or the lens of humanity. So our idea is to help introduce steps to critical and creative thinking, but explained through different lenses or across the disciplines. Yeah, and um, and of course, there's a long tradition of um, 
the steps of both critical and creative thinking. I think one of the things I liked about the book was um, you're you're actually using both words in the same sentence. So recognize, so so much of higher ed is stuck on critical thinking and not much said about creative thinking. And um, actually, it's just. Uh, Peter Elbow used the term contraries. Uh, Barry Johnson uses the term polarities. But but education reform transformation is just rife with these opposites that need to be where both of them need to be there. We need to be both analytical and creative, um, you know, which is right, analytical or creative. Well, that's not a good question. Barry Johnson asks it, which is which is better, inhaling or exhaling? You, you need both. Um, uh, but we don't view it that way. We oftentimes get stuck in a poll, and I think higher ed's been stuck in the critical poll for a long time. So bless you for bringing them up both in the same book. Comment. Oh, good, good. And, you know, it's funny because within the, the coaching framework that we've developed and we teach, yeah. and you probably have similar things in, in your coaching training, but we introduced this idea of a coaching arc that happens in every coaching conversation, but I think it's also in a a pattern of thinking. And and we talk a little bit about you first engage a student in an analytical thinking process. You know, they start to ask the, how is this similar? How is this different? When have I encountered this before? What are the missing pieces? And they, they analyze the situation often in education will then push them right into problem-solving mode. Okay, well, what are you going to do about this? And, and what steps can you take? And we, we talk a lot about going up in the arc to the top part of the arc where you engage them in the creative thinking. And you start to ask the what-if questions, the why not. What if you added something else? What might it look like? And you get them to start to think creatively before they move into more of a practical thinking strategy. And so, you know, in the coaching framework, we talk a lot about engaging them in analytical or critical thinking, in the creative thinking, and then in the very practical thinking so that they're moving through all modalities in one short five-minute conversation. Well, this isn't exactly what you were – this is connected to what you were saying. Uh, Some friends of mine wrote a a book on – a study of serial innovators at companies that had these people had all created about a billion dollars worth of business at some large company and how did they how did they do it and they weren't problem solvers well they were problem they were great problem solvers but they weren't problem solvers first and foremost they were actually problem finders before they were problem solvers they had to find a problem worth solving yeah so, uh, yes. yeah I love that. Problem finders. I'm making a note of that. I like that. <laughs> so, so, and, and, and I just hear in your voice and, and actually, um, the, the arc of coaching and, and the, and the way, um, you know, we work with individuals. I, I think there are, there are nice maps between working with individuals and working with organizations and, and, um, both are, they, they work, these things work differently at different levels, but in many ways have similarities. Um, I don't know that they're self-similar in a formal way, but they're, they work similarly at different levels. But but your book seems to share many of the perspectives, and, and you as much as said so, it grew out of the coaching, the coaching work that you were doing in an educational um, uh, setting, um, you know, awareness, listening, questioning, you know, being with the client, um, creating safe space for the client that, 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 
that that this book is uh, dripping with with kind of coach a coach's mindset comment. Absolutely, absolutely, and I I think it dovetails well with some of the things that you talk about too. Um, you know, in working with engineering students, you know, how do yep. you help them ask good questions and label yep. patterns and model conceptually and, um, you know, decompose the problem. We talk a lot in coaching about how do you deconstruct failure? You know, we never really teach students how to deconstruct a failure. And, and it's so critical to their learning and to forward action, but we have to spend time really, you know, coaching them around that process. Yeah, and I, I don't repudiate the missing basics. They were they were an early way to talk to my colleagues in engineering, my my faculty colleagues who were, um, you know. So there, if you said, okay, well, uh, let's do more on these kinds of leadership and non and, prof- and professional non technical professional skills as part of an engineer's education, and they they said, wouldn't that dilute the basics by which they meant math, science, and engineering science, and so the whole point of the missing basics was to point out that the great thinking of Western civilization was missing in in our graduates and had to be coached at the very last minute well in senior design courses and but I, I think that uh, after becoming a coach I had a I had a broader perspective a, a perspective that I think is sh- is shared in your is in your book um, ab- about the depth of you know how you know the importance of deep thinking about who you are and are the things you're doing authentic and and what does that mean even and how do you get signals as to what authentic means to you and and all the all the things that come out of a coaching perspective comment excellent yes Okay, so um, so a big a big part of Lifebound's mission is this uh, trying to help schools at different levels uh, uh, come to a coaching culture. What is in what ways is that important? Well, you you said that the world's changed, and I and I agree with you. The world has changed, and this kind of creative we we need the next Steve Jobs, not next necessarily uh, as many. Uh, bench engineers and and bench economists, as we generated in the past, we were, we certainly need people who can do both. So, what um, um, in what ways does a coaching culture help? Well, you know, I think at, at the basic level, coaching really is a tool to promote self directed learning yep. or self directed action and. Yep. So I think from a big picture economic perspective, we do need the students that are able to go out and find the problems, as you were saying, to spot the opportunities, to take initiative and um, take risks, follow their own instincts on paths. So we need them to learn how to create paths, design paths, as opposed to just follow along on a path. And I think coaching is a great tool to do that. You know, I find oftentimes working with college students, they've never been asked some of these questions. And they are great rule followers. They're great um, executors of processes, but they've never been put in that other seat. And so I think it's a, a powerful tool for that and much needed on this higher level. But I think also as higher education changes and institutions are competing with technology, like you're saying, you know, these technology companies, you know, can people get their education like bowling alone? Well, what is our value as an educator then when 
when things can be read online or watched on YouTube, so this not, our our value we're bringing to the table is to elevate the thinking around the in, information being delivered, or to help shift perspective or broaden the horizon of what might be possible. And so I think our rules as educators are changing. Yep. And having these coaching skills, I think, help us as educators move into this this different position. So I think, um, you know, it's important for the culture of the institution just for its own sustainability, but I think it's also important economically for, uh, you know, global sustainability for what we're doing in terms of the economy, in terms of energy, in terms of solving some of the big world problems. Nice. I wish we had more time. We're, we're running out of time, and, and I'd like to give you the uh, last word. So what, uh, in, in about 30 seconds or so, what, what, what thoughts would you like to leave, with our, uh, leave our listeners with? Well, I guess, um, you know, that uh, oftentimes I'll have people talking about this coaching, and they say, well, how do you know when a good time is to coach? Versus advice, and I think you know if, if mm. we can look at this and say when when are we more helpful by pulling forth a student's personal expertise and helping them find out what they already know if they can dig deep? Then in those instances, we sit back and we ask the questions and we refrain from passing along advice. And I think yeah. that's probably one of the hardest things for educators is to balance that. But there is times that they have to give advice or pass on information. But more often than not, how do we pull forth the student's expertise? And, um, you know, playing with that fine balance, I think, is the great opportunity that we're all moving into as educators. Beautiful. Well said. And and a URL or an email address where people can get in touch with you? Um, people can get in touch with me at Maureen Breeze. M-A-U-R-E-E-N-B-R-E-E-Z-E, just like the wind, at lifebound.com. And our URL is www.lifebound.com. And I look forward to speaking with any of you. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to be on the show, Maureen. It was a delightful. You've been listening to Big Beacon Radio, Transforming Higher Education. Special thanks to our guest, Maureen Breeze of LifeBound. Thanks to LifeBound and help transform higher education. Join the movement to unleash a new generation of innovators by learning more at bigbeacon.org. Join us next week, same time, same channel, on our quest to transform higher education. Thank you for tuning in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Please join Dave Goldberg soon for another edition. Listen every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For additional information about our programs or to find out about the next show, please visit bigbeacon.org. We'll talk again very soon.